everyone. Welcome to the first episode of STEM Spark, a podcast dedicated to helping teenagers explore different careers in STEM. My name is Mira Patodia, and I'm your host. I'm so excited for this interview today. Not only is this the first episode of STEM Spark, but we're also here with a very special guest. Um, her name is Dr. Rupal Patel. Um, Dr. Patel is a pioneer and leader in voice artificial intelligence. She's given an incredible TED Talk with over a million views and is the founder of Vocal ID, a company that creates synthetic voices. Honestly, I'm not even sure exactly what that means, but it sounds fascinating, and I can't wait to learn more today. Before that, she was also a professor at Northeastern University. Dr. Patel, did I get your intro right? <laughs> yes, you did, Mira. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Um, before we get into what you're doing currently today, um, I want to talk about how you got to where you are. Um, sure. And especially for a high schooler like me, where I'm, I'm kind of – the reason I wanted to start a podcast like this is because um, – I myself know I want to do something in the STEM atmosphere, um, but I'm not exactly sure exactly what, what exactly what I want to do. So um, I thought it'd be really interesting to learn from people like you who've had this experience of like deciding what you want to do um, and like your process to getting where you are today. So um, how did you determine what you what you were interested in when you were younger? Yeah, um, I mean, basically, I. I... I only knew sort of three careers as I was growing up, you know, um, my engineering, doctor, um, or like medicine or law. It, that, those are the kind of the only things that my parents really kind of um, exposed me to. And also just in school and so on. And I was good at math and I was good at science. Um, but, you know, it was always kind of semi predetermined that I was going to be a doctor. Um, but I really didn't necessarily that passion for it, you know, in the same way. Um, not that I, I just, I just don't like blood, <laughs> but, sure. but I, I love, the, I love the human body. I love anatomy, mm -hmm. um, all of those things. I love studying about it. I just didn't know what if I wanted to do then as a career. Um, I really, but I was, and I was also really into art. Um, I, and, and fashion. In fact, I used to design all my clothes when I was, um, in, in high school and so on and so forth. And so I was really not, I didn't have a lot of guidance around this, um, but when I got into university, um, I was taking the general pre-med classes and so on. And um, it, it just became more and more clear. It just, that wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do. Not because I didn't enjoy the science of it, but just because I didn't think that that was where I wanted to spend my time. So it wasn't until the third year of university that um, I got exposed to speech language pathology. So I was taking neuroscience. I became a neuroscience major in my undergrad. Um, and I loved the classes there. It was just fascinating to me, not just, you know, like how the brain works, but the psychology around it and all of that. Um, and then my brother-in-law said, well, why don't you, since you like the creative aspect so much, as well as the science of, of neuroscience, why don't you like follow speech language pathologists, um, you know, um, occupational therapists, physical therapists, different people in that, those allied health professions and learn more about them. And so he set up these interviews for me and I totally fell in love with um, speech language pathology. Could you, do you mind like defining what speech language, language pathology like is as a, as a field? Um, yeah. So speech language pathology um, essentially is the study of the development of speech um, as well as, um, so in, in kids, um, and then as kids develop, uh, some kids just develop how to speak and, and, and have language. For some kids, it's actually a struggle. So either because cognitively there are impairments in terms of learning the language, or actually it's neuromuscular. 
So some kids are born with conditions like cerebral palsy or um, they're born with uh, Down syndrome. So that, those are congenital speech language, speech, speech or language pathologies. Pathology just means um, a difference or a disorder in. And then other ones are more acquired. So when someone has a stroke and they lose their ability to speak or communicate accurately, that is also something that a speech language pathologist will work with. So, so speech language pathology is actually a relatively broad field. It's speech, language, voice, mm -hmm. as well as because we are very, we're specialists in sort of from here up, um, we also deal with swallowing disorders. So it's a very, very broad field. So uh, for example, uh, a singer may go to a speech language pathologist because they have a vocal nodule, a, uh, someone with a stroke patient, like I described, um, someone with ALS, uh, someone who's been in a car accident and can't speak, uh, someone who's had a stroke and can't swallow. So it's really, really broad. It's actually a fantastic and awesome career. Yeah, um, it seems so fascinating. That's so cool. Um, so once you decided this is something that you were interested in, um, like what was the first thing you decided to do to begin to pursue this career? Yeah, so my um, right after I graduated with my neuropsychology degree, I um, got into a program at the University of Toronto and I did my master's in speech language pathology. Then I worked for a couple of years as a speech language pathologist in the county hospital uh, outside of Toronto. Um, I worked with um, adults who had had strokes and brain injuries and things like that, and also adults with dementia. Um, and I worked with kids with speech and language disorders as well. So I did that for a couple of years. And then um, I was really excited about um, this new doctoral program that was starting at the University of Toronto. So I went back and did my PhD in um, speech acoustics um, and biomedical engineering, sort of a combination of the two. Cool. Yeah, that's yeah. It's really interesting to, to hear what you did after that. Um, so um, I know that you created your, founded your own company. Um, which is so cool. Um, what was the process like creating this company and and beginning to? I don't really. I, I don't know. Yeah, sure. You know what? Why don't I go back a little bit to? Um, so after I did my PhD, I worked at Columbia University for three years, and then I moved to Boston because my husband was here, um, and so um, we and also we wanted to like live together finally after seven years, and so sure. um, I came to the university. I came to Northeastern University, and my appointment there. Um, a lot of what we did in my lab was work with people. Um, I, I had two dis different kinds of appointments in computer science as well as in speech and hearing. And most of my students came from both disciplines. And so what we would do is either study how speech was developed in typically developing kids, and then figure out how we could build systems and machines that could uh, operate in similar ways for people who had more difficulty with speaking. So we developed technologies for um, people who had to have um, different kinds of methodologies for them to read more accurately or to read with more comprehension and so on and so forth. But one project in my lab was this project called Vocality. Um, and Vocality was, um, have you ever seen a kid who can't speak, um, who has maybe autism or cerebral palsy, who uses a device to talk? They kind of press the buttons on a device, on a computer device, and then that device speaks on, like, on their behalf because they can't speak clearly, but they know what they want to say. They're kind of almost trapped in this body where they can't speak, but sometimes they also can't move clearly. So they can't, 
they don't have great hand movements. So sometimes they have to use their eyes to kind of select items on the system. Many kids, back when I was developing this technology, um, many kids and adults were using a small sort of handful of voices, like two or three voices. And so little girls and boys would get the same adult voice, usually mm -hmm. an adult male. Um, uh, or, you know, adults that were women, or um, they would also get the same voice. Um, and so the big idea behind the work that I was doing in my, in my lab was, why can't we build voices um, for people that are more unique? Because you and I have a unique voice. And also my research with people who couldn't speak wasn't the, was finding that even though they couldn't speak clearly, they could still make sounds that made them unique. And so we would take their unique voice and we asked um, everyday people um, to contribute their voice. So when we were in the lab, we kind of figured out a way to mix voices together, Got but it. we didn't really have a way to scale this. And mm -hmm. so what happened because of the TED talk that you mentioned earlier yes. is at the end of the talk, I asked people, what, you know, what, you know, what if you could donate your voice? What if you could donate your voice to someone who needs it? And what was really interesting and fascinating is that so many people put their hands up to say, oh yeah, I'd volunteer my voice. But it was actually a seven hour process, seven to 10 hour process way back then. And we had no way to collect 2000 people at that point. I was just like, there's no way we can do this in my lab. And so that's when we spun out the company. And instead of calling it Vocality, which we were, nobody knew how to spell Vocality and we had to have a URL. And so we called it <laughs> ID. Okay. Um, and then we had, so the first thing we did is we developed a platform mm -hmm. for people to record their voices and to share their voices with people. Okay. So this is for the mixing of the voices that you would do later. Exactly. Okay. exactly. And that was called, uh, the, so that initiative to uh, record voices for people mm -hmm. is called the Human Voice Bank Initiative. And it's, there's a hundred thousand people plus now that have contribute their, contributed their voice on that platform, um, all the way from six to 91 years of age, oh, wow. um, from 120 countries. Uh, oh my goodness. All in English, but yeah, it's just- right. no, that's so cool. That's so yeah. cool. Wow. You mentioned that you were acquired by another company. Um, yeah. You wanna talk about that at all? Or? Yeah, yeah, I will. Um, so yeah, so in June of 2022, Vocal ID was acquired by a company called Veritone. Um, and Veritone is not um, a company that works with people with disabilities. And in fact, as Vocal ID progressed, we not only worked with kids and adults who couldn't speak and made voices for them that were personalized, what we also did is started to make voices that were unique voices for companies. So for example, uh, the voice for AT&T versus Verizon versus Burger King, you know, all these right, different right. No, that's, yeah, yeah. Um, have a, a, a voice, a synthetic voice that if you call the company or if you are going through the drive-through or if you are, if you're an entertainment company, for example, there's all these different synthetic voices. All that means is it's a computerized voice. Um, and and so toward the, um, toward the end of Vocal ID, we were working with companies and creating those brand voices. So the company that acquired us, Veritone, is an AI company. Now um, I'm the VP, the Vice President of Voice and Accessibility. Uh, so we continue to do our accessibility work, but we also do this other work in voice um, at Veritone. And the way that Veritone primarily, there's sort of three divisions. One is um, for hiring, another division is media and entertainment, and another division is called government and related technologies or government um, regulated um, divisions. 
So we're mostly in, in immediate entertainment. Right. So we actually make a lot of the voices for um, cartoon characters. So oh, voices, yeah, so Cookie Monster and Seth, like different Sesame Street characters. We are creating those character voices because Sesame Street wants to figure out ways in which they can use technology now to do more learning, um, automated learning and automated um, different kinds of ways in which they can reach new audiences. So not only can we make Cookie Monster's voice in English, once you've made a voice, you can actually raft that voice onto another language. So we can make Cookie Monster and, and, and Elmo speak in other languages, which is super cool. That's so cool. I didn't, yeah, I didn't know that was like a, a thing that existed to be able to translate it almost. Yeah. So it's the same technology that we were using to make a unique sounding voice. We're using the same kind of technology for um, for these media and entertainment applications. So we're, we've done Coco Melon, we've done Blue, <laughs> all of the characters you probably grew up with. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then there's the one of the products that we're doing, working with is a company called Cameo. You might have heard of Cameo. Mm -hmm. um, Cameo uh, and Veritone launched a, a new organization called Cameo for Kids. And so now these cartoon characters that we're developing voices for with our technology can also do send cameos to kids to do things like little kids to do things like brush their teeth. Um, so you imagine getting a cameo That's from so Elmo to brush your teeth together or right. Coco Melon or whatever. Probably motivational for the kids. Exactly. Or a happy birthday wish or um, diaper changing or whatever. Sure, I don't know. Sure. <laughs> Those kinds of applications as well. Um, then there's also the more serious applications, but those are the kind of things that we can do with the technology now. That's amazing. That's so cool. Um, wow. I'm just kind of like really enjoying, I'm really enjoying hearing all this. It's, it's so fascinating to me. Maybe you can talk about one kind of thing that we're doing with on the disability side that actually continues to be something where, um, you know, in the past, someone who had throat cancer had to use a device where they hold the electrolarynx to their so they've got their voice box has been removed, right? After okay. typically sure. their voice box is removed or part of their tongue is removed because they have cancer there. So if your tongue is removed, you can't really produce consonants and vowels and you can't speak clearly. Uh, never mind, you can't swallow clearly, but speak for speech, you can't speak clearly. If, if your voice box is removed, you can't actually produce the sound that's created to make, the, uh, to make speech. And so the way an electrolarynx works is that basically hold this vibrator up to your uh, neck. And even if you have the articulators, like the tongue and the lips and all that are pre relatively preserved, that becomes a source of sound now, and you can modify that source of sound to produce speech. So if you have your voice box removed, you do that. But people with head and neck cancer usually had to rely on this device. And it sounds very robotic. It's very painful. Um, now, what we can do is once, before they're gonna have their um, voice box removed, we actually have them record about a thousand lines. It takes about an hour, an hour and a half to record. And now we can recreate that person's voice. And then they can, we can put that voice on their phone. Um, and then they can, they use an app, a basic app, where they just type in what they wanna say and they can speak. And you can speak That's within amazing. like, you know, hours of your surgery which typically could it do, right? Right, right. So there's so much voice preservation that is possible, not only for people with throat cancer or uh, head and neck cancer, but also someone with a degenerative disease like 
Parkinson's disease or mm-hmm. ALS. Um, there's so many conditions where people's voice weakens or progressively gets worse over time. And if they had reported their speech, um, which is called voice banking or voice preservation, they can we can create a unique voice for them, which I think is going to be something in the future that's going to be um, an incredible way for people to um, to communicate. Yeah, that that sounds amazing. I mean, I think if you're able to create these voices and allow them to still communicate, even if they are would to, would before like not be able to, like that's just that's so cool. I think communication is so important, especially as we move forward. Um. Okay, so I guess now I'll ask like. What does your like typical daily life look like working as vice president of um, voice AI and accessibility uh, today? Yeah, so now I'm actually on a uh, a special innovation team at Veritone at the moment, um, and what we well, there's about eight of us, um, and we're mostly scientists um, as well as researchers and some software developers as well. And our our charter for this seven hundred person team is to really um, look across the entire organization. And to think about um, integrating new technologies and creating new innovations with the the kind of we work in computer vision, um, speech and hearing, uh, sorry, speech speech and language sciences, and kind of um, analytical science and data science as well. So those are the kinds of areas we work in. Um, <clears throat> and our charter is to come up with sort of new ways that the company can benefit from these new innovations. So some of the work that we're doing is um, is using generative AI, so ChatGPT, um, and, and, and image generation as well as, as video generation to do different kinds of work. So for example, we work with the California um, Police Department and some of the work that we're doing is to help them um, analyze video. So a lot of the videos, um, the body cam videos or videos in stores and organizations like that, <clears throat> There's just so many cameras, there's not enough people to look at those videos. And so what happens is we have to figure out ways in which we can use computerized tools to um, to analyze the videos at some level, maybe sort of a, a combination of human and computers. And so, you know, the computers will go through and make sure that there isn't anything that's weird or different. And if they find something that's an anomaly or a change, um, that's when they get, you know, a, a human would have to look at it. And so. That's ways in which technology is being used alongside humans um, in order to improve, you know, uh, access to information and also to like improve, you know, for, in this case, um, solving crimes and so on and so forth. Uh, so that's, you know, one application, for example. Awesome. That's, that's so cool. Um, could you have ever, this is just a, um, could I have ever imagined that this was yeah. what I was doing when I first started? Yes. <clears throat> Absolutely not. Like, honestly, even what I was doing as, um, when I first went into speech pathology, I knew very little about it. I thought I was going to work with patients who um, had had a stroke or had had, you know, a gunshot wound and they were learning to speak again. Because kind of when I was volunteering, that was the group of people I was volunteering with when I was in a, I was a third year of college. Like, remember now, I didn't even discover what I wanted to do until my third year of university, right? Um, and I didn't even know what speech language pathology was. You know, it, like like you asked me earlier, it was like kind of a foreign thing to me, you know? And I, I just figured, oh, it's just speech and language. I didn't even learn about all these other things. And as when I was a speech therapist, you know, I worked in a very specific kind of area. Again, 
not really thinking that I could do anything on the technology side because mm -hmm. I was trained as a scientist and as, and as a therapist. But when I went in to do my PhD, I learned all about this technology called speech recognition. And again, I was not a, a, a developer, right? But mm -hmm. as I did my PhD and I did more of it, I became more fascinated with the technology. So careers are so kind of windy and they're not linear. And I think as a child or as a student, you're thinking, how will I get there? You know, I like, what will I, what do you have to do? And, and I would just say, don't ever think about how do you get there? Just keep doing what you love doing. And I think that, that for me is that interest, um, you don't, don't let anyone box you into one career because there are so many things, you know, that, and in, in the end, I think if I could have picked my career, I probably would have been an engineer in some way, you know, because I feel like I would have probably, that's in, initially what I wanted to do, but then kind of thought, oh, I don't really know what I want to do there. But in the end, I became a voice engineer in the, you know, oh, and yeah, yeah. Um, so I think sometimes it's so hard to, I would just say, so to know what you want to do or find that career passion. Definitely. Because we don't know what those are. We're not exposed to those as kids. And even in the stuff that you read and, you know, the, in basically in like in middle school and high school, you're exposed to the disciplines. You're not exposed to careers. Um, right. Right. More and more these days, people are changing jobs, right? So I think average adults change their jobs or careers four times, not jobs, but full-on careers four times. Wow. Um, I would say I've had maybe, I've already had three jobs, um, mm -hmm. a professor, a speech language pathologist, and you know, a, a, an entrepreneur, and now I guess an executive. So there's four, maybe That's I'm done, I don't know. Um, but I think the fascinating thing is that most people are going to have interdisciplinary careers, meaning they're going to combine different kinds of disciplines together. Um, so I would never have imagined starting a technology company. And most other speech language pathologists or people I went to school with um, don't, but many do. You know, there's so many uh, scientists now or technicians and, uh, sorry, not technicians, but therapists that um, are creating their own apps. Right. So the world is so different now. And like with ChatGPT now, you can even like write code. You don't even have to go to computer, like, you know, to, to, uh, to become a computer scientist. Of course it helps. Right. And there are other things that you learn if you become a computer scientist and things like that. Mm -hmm. But there's very few boundaries now. And I think that that's the most exciting part about being a student today is that you can explore. And you can yeah. combine and you can, um, you can reinvent things that, you know, um, you've never have imagined before. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think to your point, like you were saying, it's so hard to know exactly what you want to do. And I think like you're saying, like careers like switch a lot. And I think what you're saying about combining them together as well, like myself as a high schooler, I'm often introduced to like this field or this field or this field or this field, but it's, it's really um, inspiring and cool to see that like you can combine a lot of these things, even if uh, you didn't think you could, or that was a possibility. So, you know, the analogy I use is sort of, um, uh, it's like a, it's like a building. Um, so, you know, you get the foundational stuff done, right? So if you're an architect, for example, you kind of need to know how a building works and how the electrical works and all that's like the foundation stuff. You, you're not actually a structural engineer, um, right? But you kind of know the basics of what goes into it, right? 
Um, so that's kind of what you're learning right now. You're being exposed to a bunch of different things. And then as you go on, you are learning how to design. You're learning how to craft something different. And then over time, architects really become their own, they're artists, right? They're not just builders of something, they're an artist. And that's kind of like about what you're doing is you're painting your own career. You're the artist of your own career. So even if you wanna do STEM, you are really creating that, that future for yourself of like, what will it be? And um, I actually started an organization called STEM for Social Change because oftentimes, uh, and it's, it's targeted middle schoolers um, to help them understand that STEM, even like I used to think about STEM as like, you have to wear a white coat and, you know, mix chemicals together. And I had trust in that whatsoever, or like the white coat of a doctor or whatever. But yeah. STEM is so broad. STEM is not just in medicine and physics and, and chemistry yeah. and biology. It actually is the foundation of everything around us. This mm -hmm. building, this, you know, or this house, like the, the environment. You're going to, STEM scientists will be involved in, in climate change. STEM scientists will be involved in, in materials, new materials that we're going to create for clothing and for fashion so that we have sustainable fashion, right? It's, it's so broad. Uh, so don't box yourself in. Amazing. I mean, that that's so cool. The the social change thing too. I think it's so important to see like how these careers can also help us change the world in the future as well. So I think yes. <laughs> um. So you already gave a bunch of advice, but is there anything else that like you would maybe say to someone in my position who's curious about different fields and career paths they might want to pursue, and like something you might say or yeah what idea you have for... i think that um the biggest thing i would say is that oftentimes in high school today kids feel this pressure of having to feel that they know what they want to do and i think very few people can know what they want to do unless it's like like a lifelong passion and even then i think that exposure to other things may it's not that it's that they'll necessarily change their mind but you know it's it's great if you know exactly what you want to do and that's like something that you're going to pursue. But many people and most people, I would say, don't know what they want to do or think that they know what they want to do and they'll change their mind when they're exposed to different things. And that's just like, you know, exposing yourself to new foods as a kid, right? The more exposure right. you have to things, the more of a exploratory eater you'll be, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you might still love meat and potatoes, but, but you know, at least you're exposed to them. So I would say just don't be too much in a hurry to lock it down. And I think, you know, in most colleges, you are you have the opportunity to do some core classes or to explore. Um, and I think, you know, even in high school, there are ways to take classes in your electives where um, you get to try something new. Always try things that, you know, I think that you're not necessarily good at. That's the other thing is people are so trying to reverse engineer getting into college and making sure that you do all these classes that you're good at so that you can have that high GPA. But honestly, I would say the time when you're looking, you know, when, when colleges are looking at your applications, they're also interested in people that stretch themselves and grow and do new things because life is about lifelong learning. You know, the people that succeed in life are the ones who are continuously learning and pushing the boundaries of what they know, not necessarily always doing things you're good at. 
you will always have an opportunity to explain, you know, I took this because I wanted to explore, but it's actually not my forte. And I, I right. learned that now. And that takes courage. It takes, you know, a certain kind of mindset. There's a mindset called the growth mindset, right? Yeah. Which is yeah. about, it's not about proving, it's actually about improving, right? Um, and that's what I, that's my biggest advice. I would say, um, be excited about what you're learning about, try new things, and you don't have to be good at everything. In fact, learning what you're not good at is learning. And that is, it, that, I think that is one of the most important things that you can learn about yourself. Amazing. I mean, that, it's so it's so good to hear that too. Like, I think it's, it's often stressful to be like, I have to do everything in order to, to figure out, like, I might, I might want to do science. I have to take a science elective like next term. And I think it's, it's super kind of exciting and, and reassuring to hear that, like, it's important to, to try and, and also just see what you might be interested in. Yeah. You'll find that people want to put you in boxes. So, you know, they'll say like, you're a STEM kid or you're a humanities kid or whatever, but you know, there's no reason why you can't be, you know, both, um, or, something like that combines something different, you know? Um, so I would, I would really encourage people not, and, and this happens even for adults, for example. So when I first started my company, there was so much, you know, the investors and, and our community would be always like, but you're a scientist, you're a, you know, you're, you're an academic. How are you going to be an entrepreneur? Have you thought of business school? Like, no, I haven't. But, um, you know, I think when you have a passion for something, you can try to figure it out. You can do it. And I think this happens a lot to, to girls too. It's like, oh, you know, math, you know, that's hard. I feel like <laughs> it's, there's no such thing. I think there's too much, um, I don't know, stigma. I'm so excited to have heard your, your story and everything. It's so Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. So much. Being, being my first <laughs> So much. I'm so glad you're doing this because I think that you're right. Um, you've you've certainly identified something that kids need to hear and are somehow sometimes scared to ask those questions and also not don't have the avenue and don't have the means to think. How do I figure out how what other people can do? And so I think I'm, I really celebrate the fact that you're doing this because I think it's very important for other people to hear the stories of others and to learn that. Nobody figures it out. We didn't have it all figured out, you know. Not, not nobody figures it out. People figure it out, but we sure. didn't have to figure it out from the beginning. Um, yes. You know, if I had my ways, and as a high school student, I would be designing clothes right now. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and which is not a bad thing. It just would have been a very different career. Very different. Definitely, definitely. My dad would never. Allow it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyways, Thank you so much. My pleasure. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of StepSpark. I hope you guys were able to learn just as much from Dr. Patel as I was today. I hope to see you soon for our next episode. Bye.